I'm Derek Fildebrandt, publisher of the Western Standard, and you're watching The Pipeline. Today is August 30th, 2023. Oh, summer is pretty much Slipping over. away. You can feel, you can feel the autumn coming in the air slowly. Yellow leaves already. It's BS. Um, joined as usual today by Western Standard Opinion Editor, Nigel Hannaford. Good to be here. And Western Standard Senior Alberta Columnist, Corey Morgan. Good day. Uh, we're going to be talking about Federal Environment Minister Stephen Gilbo's comments while uh, advising the Chinese Communist Party on environmental policy today uh, about Suncor and uh, actions in Alberta. He he took some big shots at Suncor. So we're going to talk about uh, kind of Jill Bowe's love-in with the Chinese Communist Party and what they're doing right now on environment policy vis-a-vis -vis what he's saying about Alberta. Bad Alberta. A uh, federal NDP MP, longtime MP, uh, Charlie Angus, is blaming the Western standard for the death of an unvaccinated woman who was denied uh, an organ transplant because of policies that he supported. So she's denied an organ transplant because she's unvaccinated, a policy he supports, and she dies. And that is our fault. So we're, we're, we're going to talk about that nice uh, logic pretzel. Uh, Kind of on the other side of that, some big court victories, uh, big a very recent string of court victories for uh, refuseniks of mandates and things like that. Uh, pastors who refused to close down their churches during COVID, uh, people who were not masked, people who were not vaccinated. Uh, it's been a long time coming, and it's been very much justice, justice delayed, but uh, still some big wins there we're going to talk about. And a, uh, the English River First Nation in Saskatchewan is claiming they have uh, located 93 suspected unmarked graves in the ongoing genocide uh, in Canada. The, um, uh, I, I suppose, the latest evidence that the Fourth Reich continues its march of uh, genocide across Canada. Uh, still, not a single body has been found in a suspected unmarked grave, uh, but we're gonna we're gonna go through what their claims are and talk about it. Before we get into that, though, I want to thank my favorite sponsor, the Canadian Shooting Sports Association. I've been a member of the CSSA for over a decade because I trust them as Canada's leading firearms rights organization. Uh, without these guys, the federal government would have gone much further and much faster than they already have in taking away the rights of law-abiding firearms owners in Canada. It's important for firearms owners to stick together. The CSSA is doing God's work in protecting our right to bear arms in Canada. Uh, if you're not yet a member of the CSSA, go to cssa-cila.org or do what Corey and I do, just Google them and become a member today. It's worth every penny and it's important for us to stand together. Don't be freeloading. Join together to help protect your right uh, to own and use firearms responsibly in Canada. Okay. Uh, Federal Environment Minister uh, Stephen Gilbo uh, gone to China, where he is meeting with uh, an organ of the Communist Party, which I guess has some environmental policy role, and uh, advising them. Uh he, uh, he actually, in fact, he was warned 
by the uh, Chinese Communist Party's mouthpiece, uh, the Global Times. They warned him against being condescending, quote-unquote. I'm assuming that translates to Chinese. I'm assuming, I'll hope they got that, right? Uh, condescending. They told him not to be condescending discussions to accelerate carbon, uh, China's own carbon neutrality plans, which are set for 2060. <laughs> uh, a bit later than uh, Stephen Gilbo's of 2030 or 2035, whatever that is, um, which is far below the Paris Accord and what uh, Gilbo was imposing on Alberta. So we haven't heard him say anything about China's 2060 uh, carbon neutrality plan, uh, but he'll, he, he cer- certainly has words for Alberta saying, no, we're not doing 2035. Um, but then he went after Suncor. So Suncor, uh, obviously big oil sands giant, um, they're selling their wind farms and solar stuff um, to concentrate on what makes the money, you know, uh, things that aren't just subsidy machines, namely oil sands. And uh, so this is what Stephen Gilbo had to say about Suncor. To see the leader of a great Canadian company say that he basically disengaged from climate change and sustainability, that he's going to focus on short-term profits, it's all the wrong answers. If I was convinced before that we what we needed to do was regulate, I'm even more convinced now. So he has convinced himself even more that he is right. That is a sign of a good liberal. Um, so he is... Confounded that a for-profit company uh, is prioritizing making a profit, something that Mr. Gilbo and the overwhelming majority of liberal cabinet ministers have never actually had to do at any point in their lives. He's confounded that they would uh, actually try to make a profit and focus on the profitable parts of their business. Um, But yeah, he did that where he's out in China with the China Council for International Cooperation on Environment and Development, where he is the co-chair. And just for clarity, that is an actual organ of the Chinese government and Communist Party. This is not an international organization where China's just there. This is a Chinese communist organization. Um, I don't think anything of any of this is really surprising. The liberals have a really creepy soft spot for the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, so soft that the Chinese Communist Party has seen it as advantageous to aid them in interfering in elections. Um, but I don't know. Is there anything unusual about Gilbo doing this overseas while in China meeting with the Chinese Communist Party, the biggest polluter on the planet, whose carbon neutrality goals are 2060, and he has apparently not said anything about is the circumstance of this a little out for Gilbo? Oh, of course it is. I mean, you pretty much said it all, Derek. Uh, it's an outrageous situation. It's outrageous that the man occupies a post in another government. It's one thing to be a member of an international organization. It's another to actually be part of that government, uh, another government. It happens to be China. It wouldn't be any better if it was Monaco. You know, you just don't... Uh, you, Means split loyalty is uh, always the perception of of uh, shredded interests. So that's the first thing. But you know, Mr. Jubo, frankly, uh, is a, almost becoming a caricature of himself. He is everything that he does is just slightly crazy, and the idea of going to China slightly. You're being very polite today. Well, I, look, you know, we, we're going to 
get to Charlie Angus later. But the, uh, <laughs> you know, it's the, the man is obviously single minded, obsessive about his chosen passion, which is climate change, and nothing else matters to him. A senior politician and environment minister is senior. A senior politician needs to be able to operate across the spectrum. He can think of nothing else. And if go over there and chastise a, a, a Canadian company on, from foreign soil is, is the height of disloyalty. You don't do that sort of thing. You just keep that within the family. But there it is. He's nuts. Curry, I mean, I mean him, uh, Gilbo, not saying anything, at least that we know of so far, uh, about China's genuinely appalling uh, environmental record. Mm -hmm. um, you know, even if you are on the, the climate train, uh, 2060 is a less ambitious goal than even Alberta. We're saying 2050. China's saying 2060. Whatever. Potato, potato. Uh, but, you know, less ambitious than even Alberta's goal. Um, do you think... Are, are, are Canadians going to see this... Um, in anything other than just Gilbo cares about environment? Is that going to be kind of the, the main headline coming out of this? Or is the fact that he's attacking a Canadian company for having the audacity to focus on profit, uh, which they're, they have a fiduciary duty to do, um, it, is it, do you think this is going to be anything beyond just the regular headlines of Gilbo hits it company? Does it add to it substantively for average Canadians to think that he's doing this while operating as an arm of the Chinese Communist Party as a part of the, uh, what's it called, the China Council for International Cooperation on Environment and Development? I, I think that just the fact that he was sitting on that panel alone, I mean, that already made headlines when it was found that he was going to it. And, and that kind of hit across the country. As far as his fight with Suncor, I think that's just going to be more regional. And he knows it. It's going to infuriate us in the West. They don't care. If, if anything, it's advantageous to them. And it shows a difference in attitude. I mean, that's why he, he's so mortified with, with Suncor. But companies like Suncor have been put in the corner. What they're saying is, we've gotten no benefit, no thank yous, nothing for this virtue signaling we've done for years. We've tried to play by your rules. We try carbon capture. We buy into the renewables. And still, you keep moving the goalposts and saying mm -hmm. you're going to shut us down. Well, to heck with you. We're going to focus on you know, selling oil. That's what we do. And then we're not going to apologize for it anymore. And uh, I think it's just the beginnings of a bigger showdown, though. It is notable because Suncor, I've kind of chuckled at Suncor for a while. Is like they've trying to be such a Boy Scout. They've been sucking up to Ottawa. And yeah, look what it got them. Yeah, they've you know they uh, I could be wrong, but I'm ninety percent sure they even went along with Rachel Notley's carbon tax because they thought it would buy them social license. They knew it was dumb policy. Wouldn't do anything for the environment. Would hurt the bottom line. But hey, whatever. Maybe some people will like us for it. They've gone along with a lot of this stuff. Um, somebody who's probably gone along a little less with them historically is Alberta Premier Danielle Smith. Mm. She had some words today. I'm going to just quote at length from her statement. Stephen Gilbo has once again shown his utter contempt for Alberta, our economy, and how our energy and our energy workers. While advising the Chinese Communist Party about its environmental policies, Minister Gilbo stated that due to an Alberta oil and gas company's decision to focus on oil and gas production, he has increased his resolve to introduce an emissions capital effectively forced companies to cap their oil and gas production. Minister Gilbo's comments are a continuation of his provocative verbal attack, attacks on Alberta's energy sector, the most environmentally responsible and ethical energy, energy producing jurisdiction in the world. 
His involvement in the China Council for International Cooperation in Environment and Development has turned uh, has him turning a blind eye to China's environmental record while they add the equivalent of two new coal uh, emission plants every week. She continues from there, but mm-hmm. I, I think we, we get the point. Um, I, Nigel, I think it's maybe a gift for Alberta that Gilbo has done this. I think it gives some political cover for Smith to fight harder that he's operating as an organ of the Chinese Communist Party. He is turning a blind eye to their their environmental record, which is, I mean, even if you're not a greeny global warming uh, alarmist, China's still bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you just care about the environment, you look at China, you're like, holy crap. Turning a total blind eye to them as an organ of the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, and at the, while he's freaking there, operating in that position, coming after Alberta, I think this, this, I think this provides political cover to Smith and the Alberta government and Saskatchewan by extension, um, to push back. Oh, of course it does. And I, you know, she's this is this is absolutely a gift. Even people who weren't were lukewarm about Danielle Smith see that and they see hypocrisy. They, they and the only other thing that's interesting about it is that it comes the day after we had almost lost power. Mm-hmm. This just fortifies Danielle Smith's point that if you have a stage three alert. Because what? Because the wind is not blowing and the power is not coming and you have to kick him with the natural gas so that people can just keep the lights on, keep the air conditioning going, do everything else you do with electricity. And then the next day, the environment minister federally is coming out and making a stupid statement about Suncor. That just is, is dressed to her mill. She couldn't have orchestrated. She couldn't have bought that. It's great stuff for, for Danielle. Well, speaking of blaming strange parties, let's turn now to federal NDP MP, a very longtime MP, Charlie Angus. Uh, so he's MP for Timmins, James Bay in Ontario. Uh, the uh, He was responding to a tweet from Pierre Polyev about Alberta resident Sheila Annette Lewis, who passed away. Uh, because she was denied a transplant over her COVID vaccination status. Um, and he, he, what he said was disinformation and conspiracy costs lives. That was his reply, you know, his little missive on Twitter as, as it happens. Uh, he said, uh, it's appalling that uh, Polyev continues to fan the flame of anti-vax conspiracy. The fact that he is cheering on a candidate who was kicked out of Doug Ford's caucus is telling he is promoting a party of extremism. He's referring to Roman Babber, who is now a federal conservative candidate who was kicked out of Doug Ford's PC mm-hmm. caucus in Ontario for not going along with lockdowns and mandates. Uh, we did a story on that, just it was a straight news story that here's what Angus says about Aliyev. And uh, Charlie Angus then retweets our story and says, uh, uh, and, and actually that story was called Charlie Angus blames disinformation for death of woman denied organ transplant because she refused to get vaccinated. And he says, yup, right-wing dis- disinformation is toxic and tragic. So I guess the Western Standard, uh, the few other remaining independent media in Canada, and uh, Pierre Polyev are responsible for the death of Sheila Lewis. Um, I guess because we told her not to take a vaccine. Uh, 
I've never told anyone. I don't think we were ever that specific. I have never told anyone ever not to get vaccinated. Yeah. I don't think the Western Standard has ever said mm -hmm. not to get vaccinated. We have taken a hardline position on your right to decide if you get vaccinated or not, that this is a personal medical decision. Uh, we've reported on adverse effects from vaccination, and people can make up their own minds if the risk-reward is the right balance for them. But, uh, I mean, we, we've been adamant that we don't tell people what personal medical decisions to take here. Uh, Methinks, Corey, that Charlie Angus saw this story and it's gnawing at his conscience that the lockdowners and the mandate politicians, they killed Sheila Lewis. They killed her. Her blood is on their hands because this is their policy and they know it. But, you know, it's hard to admit that kind of thing to yourself because everyone thinks that they're a good person. You have to morally justify your own existence. I, I think he's just lashing out because he probably feel, has a guilty conscience that a policy he supports killed an innocent woman. Well, yeah, I mean, you should look at whether you agree with the vaccinations or not, realizing just how deep-seated the, the terror of the vaccination was for her when it turned out she would literally rather die of organ failure then get the vaccination. And it, it's really unfortunate, but it says so much about the state. Well, she was willing they, to take the risk they of would, dying of organ failure. They would, yeah. well, in the end, I don't she know died if she knew she would die. Well, she'd had a number ticking. They told her, yeah. if you don't get that transplant, you're going to die. Okay. And, and likewise, we've got a system so intractable and so stubborn that would say, we are going to let her die of organ failure before allowing her to get that while unvaccinated. It was... It's just a completely tragic end that never needed to happen. It was a standoff, I think a point of principle, almost on the part of both. And uh, it, it's just sad to watch. It never needed to happen. Uh, I, I think, yeah, everybody wants to point the other way to feel that perhaps they're, you know, played no part or weren't complicit in any sort of way. And, and uh, Angus is lashing out a bit that way. And then kind of as implied before, too, Angus just doesn't think and opens his mouth. I mean, he's not uh, uh, the most, we're, we're seeing to have a theme today with politicians who really aren't uh, the most stable or, or sane or rational, and, and he fits the irrational description. Nigel, you had uh, a really good column on this, I think, uh, yesterday. Um, and, and there is some context to provide in this. Um, it is longstanding policy that um, vaccination, uh, other health factors, including vaccination status, can play a role in uh, eligibility for um, high priority in getting an organ transplant. Because mm -hmm. uh, when you get an organ transplant, you know, I, I've had members of my family who have received kidneys and things like that. You're put on immunosuppressants so that your body will accept the new tissue. It's traumatic to the body. It's a foreign object. Even if you're compatible, uh, the body still tries to reject it and fight it. So you're put on immunosuppressants, so you're more likely to accept it. And immunocompromised people are much more likely to get sick and die, including of COVID. Um, so there's been uh, requirements before that, you know, you, uh, you have to be vaccinated for like polio and things like that. But this vaccine is, is a bit different, and especially at the time. It was, it was still quite experimental at that time. And I, I think you explained it very well in your column. Yes. The, the thing with... Um, the thing with... Uh, Ms. Lewis was that she was concerned that the first of all it wasn't a vaccine in the sense that a smallpox vaccine is a vaccine it's a it's a different product operates in a different way 
and actually had to be redefined as a vaccine by the Center for Disease Control in the United States in order for it to be commonly accepted. And so that they could say, get vaccinated, they had to declare something that was not a vaccine in the understood sense of the word to be a vaccine mm -hmm. in the sense that they wanted you to understand. So there's a propaganda element in this before she even enters center stage. The second part of it was that, um, you know, it wasn't the Western standard that was advising her. It was physicians of her own choosing. And she had advice from a number of people who said, look, don't take this thing. It's probably not going to be good for you. Are you going to say that those physicians were peddling disinformation? I suppose Mr. Angus might. Obviously, it's something different from the official line. Therefore, it must be disinformation in the eyes of people who work in government. But people in good faith advised her not to take it. And one of the reasons that they gave her was that she had already beaten COVID twice. Oh, yeah, that's, that's an important so had, piece of con context. Absolutely so she already had She'd natural had immunity. She yeah. had it twice and beat yeah, it. That's right. And I think it's one of, the, one of the vicious ironies of this whole story is that having beaten COVID twice, she dies because she refused the so-called defense against COVID, which, uh, frankly, the jury is out on at the moment. Uh, as, as to how effective it was and how... Apparently the, the new... Uh, what the hell do they call this new one? Um, some string of letters. Yeah. No, the Griffin. The Griffin, oh, yes. The Griffin right. variant or whatever. Mm -hmm. Apparently it comes for you, especially if you do have the vaccine. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Uh, some maniacs in the States are already masking up. Uh, oh, you know, I... It's not really on our topic, but uh, you guys all saw the video, I'm sure, of the uh, these maniacs in BC. They were protesting outside um, the office of uh, the BC uh, Premier, demanding a return of mask mandates. Uh, these just these little boners. That's my new term. I'm calling people. I think it's PG enough. I can say it, and not get bleeped. Mm -hmm. These boners are demanding return of mask mandates, and I guess there was another guy out there who disagreed. He has a sign. I guess counter-protesting, I don't know what a sign says. And they attack him. They beat the crap out of this guy, kicking him to the ground and uh, screaming at him. Um, I mean, uh, maybe we should bring back, we should have gulags. And we'll just put the maniacs up in somewhere in Athabasca. Well, it's hard to understand why people would demand an oppressive uh, measure. For so let's oppress them. Let's put them in a yeah, gulag. Yeah. That's lockdown. Let's lock them down. It's, it's, it's reminds me of that meme going around though of a, a protest with a bunch of protesters against a police line and seeing uh, you know protesters demanding more government. And this girl's getting a face full of pepper spray from the cop. It says government. more government. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was crazy. Give them what they're asking for. Then here you can have a controlled life up there. You can cut fire breaks, you know, by hand for the the, the territories or something. Yeah. yeah, I think it's a great idea. Um, you heard it here first. <laughs> I mean, it, it, at the same time, though, I have to you know, feel terrible for this woman and her family. And I get she did not take it. She refused, as it should at least be her right. Perhaps not mm -hmm. in Canada. It's not your right. But it should be in a free country uh, because of, I guess, her concerns and probably a matter of principle. But, I mean, like, it's like it's a gun to her head. And you'll do anything with a gun to your head i don't actually like she was gonna die i mean it's easy for us to say well good for her sticking to her principles but she died like at some point 
Why didn't she just say, well, this one might kill me, she fears, and the other one will certainly kill you. And I guess she was she was crowdfunding to try and get a transplant in the States. She got about a quarter of the way to the half million dollars she needs. But I don't know. No, it's, it's, a, it's a tragic case, all right. And, uh, you know, the other thing that, that bothers me about this situation is that there are certain professions, and I call them professions advisedly, engineer, lawyer, doctor, where you, the, the individual, are responsible. You're, a, you're, you're an engineer, you design a building, you put your name to it, the thing falls down, you have just... You are responsible. And there are penalties that go with that. But they know who you are. The judge looks the condemned man in the eye and says, you are guilty, sir. And I, in the old days, they sentenced them to death. And in the present day, it's prison or whatever the penalty is. But the judge is known. We report, judge so-and-so said this, did that. It is public information. This panel that actually denied uh, Ms. Lewis her effective judges are comparable. They are professional people. They are responsible for their opinions, but they refuse to own them publicly. Yeah, and the judge protected their names. I have a problem with that. Dr. A, Dr. B, Dr. C through F. Yeah. There's something wrong with that system. Well, it's crooked from top to bottom. Uh, well, okay, let's... Let's go to a bit more happier COVID news, if you can ever say that. Um, so beginning pretty quickly after the first, you know, during the first lockdown, most people, you know, we didn't really know when most people generally complied. It was just coming out of China and China was lying about what was going on. But then once we got second lockdowns and we saw some funny stuff, you know, Calgary police beating up a kid for playing hockey on an outdoor rink. Uh, Costco is allowed to be open, but the mom and pa shop is not. Started getting that stuff. Uh, well, then we started getting the refuseniks, people who refused to comply with masking, people who refused to comply with uh, vaccine mandates, uh, people who refused to close their businesses, pastors who refused to close their churches. Well, they all got charged. And um, there was a lot of great organizations out there. Uh, there was Canadian Constitution Foundation, uh, Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms, the Democracy Fund. Uh, a lot of these things that took on these cases, uh, often pro, very often, majority of the cases pro bono, they haven't all gone terribly well because the Canadian judiciary is extremely deferential to the power and authority of the state. But there's been some big wins, largely recently on a technicality. But uh, so there was the Ingram decision, and this was a decision in an Alberta court that ruled that, um, in short, the health orders weren't actually legally valid because they were made by the Kenny cabinet and not by Dina Hinshaw, the chief health officer. And legally, they needed to be made by Hinshaw and not the cabinet. Now, the judge unfortunately ruled that, well, and the government can make up whatever rules it likes for COVID because that's important and we think the government should have power to do anything it wants. So the constitutional case was not, unfortunately, successful. But the Ingram decision, because it meant that the law was technically invalidated retrospectively, has gotten all this stuff thrown out of court, all this stuff. And uh, some very big ones. Chris Scott, um, owner of the Whistle Stop Cafe, and where was it? Somewhere, middle of nowhere. Out by Mirror. 
Mirror, yeah. yeah. It's a little place in the middle of nowhere. It's like the only it's like the only place to get food in that town, right? Yeah, he's got a neat little spot, actually. Gas station, he's got a stage, he's been doing yeah. quite a few things of I, I remember seeing video of um uh police coming in on the orders of the Kenny government and taking his booze out, shutting him down, padlocking his doors, then he comes back at night and cuts the doors open to his own place. He says, Screw you, I'm opening up. He was a brave resistor to government power. Uh all charges dropped. Chris Scott is in the clear. Now, he'd be probably bankrupt if he didn't have uh, a lot of these uh, uh, different constitutional rights groups that were, that were helping him out. Um, but then just uh, this morning, we got uh, word that Pastor James Coates of Grace Life Church, this was, this, was a, this was a galvanizing moment in the fight against COVID restrictions in Alberta. James Coates, Grace Life Church, uh, I think just west of Edmonton, uh, refused to shut down, refused to kick people out of its church. Uh, if the government said there was too many people in the building, uh, they just went about things. And uh, you remember he was refusing to comply with the orders repeatedly. And then eventually they sent tactical teams and they uh, kicked everyone out of the church and they erected barricades around it. Something I have never seen in Canada, the government kicking people out of a church and erecting barricades around it to keep it out as if we were in North Korea or something. And the, the visual of that was devastating to the Kenny government's authority to impose its will anymore. At that, they, at that point, they lost the plot. Well, Pastor James Coates, who was denounced as, uh, you know, kind of a COVID killer and bad guy by the government at the time, free man, all charges dropped. But he did spend five weeks, five uncomfortable weeks, in jail. Mm -hmm. And that should never have happened. Well, and, and he should, I think the government owes him compensation for that. He's an innocent man who spent five weeks in jail. When, when we jail people who are innocent, the government has to pay. I think the government owes this guy money. Compensation and a full pardon. Well, he doesn't need a pardon because he was acquitted. Well, never, like it never happened. Yeah. No, and, uh, you know, the, the trouble is the government, and I'm, I'm actually surprised it was a Kenny government. I know we've had our differences with Mr. Kenny, but I, I'm still surprised because I know that he is, is strong in his faith, but governments think church is a hobby. They do not realize that for those people who have faith, it is central to who they are. We hear a lot about identity politics these days, well, and, and your sexual orientation is 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 central to who you are or some other characteristic is absolutely you know un, unviolable you believe in god well that's not central to who you are shut your church you don't need to go to church like where's that mentality it is from? surprising that came from kenny because I, I don't think his faith is a hobby to him i think he no, does take not. it very uh, seriously i think it is central to who he is absolutely uh he i guess either you know, we talked about this a lot at the time what was happened he either believed, I think seriously, that he had to do this because it was such an emergency that we had to shut down these churches. We had to barricade these rebels. Uh, we had to arrest these pastors because they were such a, via, uh, a threat to public safety and possibly to government authority. Or on the other side, uh, the politician got the better of him and he saw it as good politics. Uh, that maybe arresting these pastors would win him support with centrist voters who are maybe a bit more deferential to the authority of the state to impose these kinds of measures. Um, I don't think Kenny ever saw it as 
uh, church as a hobby. I, I, I don't think he saw it that way. But it, either he probably believed in his heart that it was so important that we had to jail these pastors, we had to shut down these churches to preserve public health and public order, or uh, it was just good politics, he thought. To be exquisitely precise, I think it was Alberta Health who actually moved in on... On the orders of the Alberta uh, government, the though. They were doing this the under the authority of decisions made by the cabinet. Jesus. And that's what the Ingram decision came down to, is the decisions were ordered by the cabinet and not by Henshaw. Thing is, you could you, you couldn't go to church, but you could go to a restaurant. By the way, around in BC, by the way, mm -hmm. you could you could uh, they closed the restaurants down. But I mean, when you look for consistency and logic in all of this mess, it's so hard to find it. How can that be a consistent policy? That that's fine. Well, this is not. And I, I thought that you know, I, I mean, I was a, a strong supporter of Kenny when he was on his way in and up, and mm -hmm. I'd always heard of as as being a strong supporter outside of the faith aspect of civil liberties. I mean, you don't get much more faithless than I, and I strongly understand the incredible importance, though, of the preservation of the right to practice and gather to you know, take part in your religion. I, it's an absolute right that must be protected violated only the most extreme of last resorts. And and uh, so I was just as, as horrified watching them fence in a, a church and, and keeping people away from their, their social gathering and, and their, their faith uh, as anybody should be. I mean, it, it, COVID turned everything upside down. Yeah. It really oh. did. I, I think you had a, you hit on a really strong point, Nigel, that I think a lot of church, non-church goers uh, view it as, Going to like your bridge club. Maybe they know it's a little more serious than going to a bridge club, but I mean, oh, you can wait. You don't really need to do it. You know, we're working from home now. You can wait. The, the importance of a central social place, though, something I talked about a bit in the past as a bar owner, and I don't want to com com fully compare, you know, going to the bar to going to church, but it's true. Everybody has their social structures that are very important to them, their gatherings weekly, mm -hmm. daily, and so on. And I saw the suffering of my regular bar goers used to come to our bar. There was nothing else for them. When they were locked out of the bar, they had nowhere else to go. And I, I can't relate the specifics. There's a couple of fellows, they, they really succumbed to alcoholism because, I mean, whereas they'd have one or two at the bar, now that they had no uh, outlet, stayed in their homes and, and just drank themselves out. Like, it's important to people to have their social gathering the people with them, whether it's through faith or through all these other outlets. Curry, uh, his his uh, bar that he owned in Pritis was effectively the local church. Well, to some people in a sense, <laughs> I'm just meaning it, it, it's people underestimate the damage done when you shut people away from their, uh, their social outlets. Yeah. Uh, we won't get into it, but also of note, uh, Pastor Hildebrandt in Ontario. Um, now, they didn't have the Ingram decision there that just nullified everything because it's Ontario. Different, uh, but he um, the government dropped all charges but one, and he ended up pleading guilty to one. Um, ended up paying a big fine, but he got most things let off on it. And he was a very strong refusenik there as well. But unfortunately, uh, there's going to be less justice done in Ontario than in Alberta because here our government was dumb enough to not follow its own rules and who actually signs off on the orders. Uh, so think. We, we've talked about this previously um, with, uh, like, you know, the new heritage minister. Uh, Pablo Rodriguez was, uh, no, 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 uh, on public safety. Um, where I kind of like, when you have a bad government, I kind of prefer them to be incompetent than smart. Because you can get a, they're less effective in oppressing you when they're incompetent. And Alberta's government was incompetent enough that they didn't do the paperwork right, mm -hmm. which nullified all their own uh, mandates post facto. 
So, on unfortunately, Ontario seems to have actually crossed the T's and dotted the I's a little more, and so less justice to be done for the refuse next there. Um, okay. Uh, so I think uh, just yesterday we had um, the English River First Nation uh, chief, uh, their chief, uh, Jenny Wolverine. Cool name. That's a cool name. Uh, Jenny Wolverine uh, said that they've used ground-penetrating uh, radar and have uncovered 93 or identified 93 potential unmarked graves, 79 suspected to be children, uh, and another, I think, nine suspected to be, nine or so, 14, sorry, expected uh, thought to be infants. Um, and her statement was very interesting. Let me, let me read this. Uh, we need to pool our resources, First Nations and Métis, to continue. We need Canada and Saskatchewan to step up, acknowledge, and provide meaningful resources that meet physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual needs of survivors and addresses the internet generational impacts to families. Now, maybe I missed it, but what I'm seeing here is asking for money to deal with the trauma of these anomalies, uh, ano anomalies that she calls on Mark Graves. No call to get to the bottom of this and get the facts. No call to do a gentle and respectful excavation of the site to see if these are in fact graves. And if they are graves, to do the proper, uh, I don't know what you call it, but the, the proper- Exhum and proper, forensic follow-up. Yeah, the proper forensic work to see if there is any evidence of foul play in any of the corpses that could potentially be recovered. I didn't hear any of that. Not, let's get to the bottom of it, let's get to the facts, and if the facts show that this was foul play, and these are in fact mass graves or unmarked graves of people who died wrongfully, then we need to take steps for some kind of post-generational justice. That, I would have said, amen, sister, I'm with you, we can do that. But instead, what I heard was, give me money. Well, you know, three times they've excavated GPR anomalies now in three different locations where they suspected these bodies, and not a one has been found yet. If they were serious, and again, I, 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 I'm getting more blunt about it with Kamloops because I've been waiting since, you know, that was the one that set it all off. Apparently 200 children buried and still not a teaspoon full of dirt has been moved to follow up on that. I hate to say it, but I think a lot of the activists are pretty confident that there's no bodies down there and the, the show will be over if they actually excavate. If they cared, they would want excavation so we could find the perpetrators, so we could find the victims, so we could reunite the remains with the families or the mm -hmm. reserves they came from. But to sit there and say, yes, we found the remains of 200 and not only just, you know, an unmarked cemetery apparently in Kamloops. These were supposedly surreptitiously murdered and buried in the night by other children. And we're just going to let that go. And by the way, give me money. I mean, that's really what it keeps coming down to. I, I'm getting tired of it. We've we got to follow up with these investigations, not just keep doing this GPR and saying that's all where we're going to stop. I mean, it, it, it's not good enough. Well, Nigel, it's like we haven't found one body yet. Not one. I mean... For a genocide, this is one shitty genocide. Uh, if you can't find one body, uh, it begs the question. But even if... Uh, I'm sure there are bodies around some of these places. They had cemeteries. These places were very often isolated in the middle of nowhere. When people died, they were, tuberculosis was rampant in these places. 
Um, this particular location, the uh, English River one, um, had a fire that apparently killed quite a few people, uh, 20s or something a long time ago. Um, and, and I actually do believe, because these were very often terrible places, I do believe there probably were some people who were killed, like by beating or something, but hardly any kind of genocide level extermination taking place here. But I'm sure there were people who died in foul play at these places, almost certainly. Um, but even if they find bodies, we then have to do the proper work to see if there was foul play involved. And I know it's a long time and the evidence decays with time, but there just hasn't been a shred of evidence of genocide yet. Just pleas for money. And, you know, there isn't actually a shred of evidence that anybody was murdered. We know that some bad things were done, sexual assault. That has been tried. We, do, we definitely know of a lot of sexual assault. We th but I think it is highly probable that I people, the beatings may have gone, because people were beaten at these places, beatings going too far, and it took place over such a long period of time. It is highly improbable that no one died. Uh, actually, I, I think it is improbable. Uh, but anyway, we can we can differ okay. on that. I just don't. Uh, one thing about the that has not been done at that school or any of the others is a careful check of the records. These schools were paid under the per capita grant system, just as schools are paid now by the government. And it was very much in the interests of the schools to know how many kids they had and to make sure that they got paid for each one. The records, therefore, are very well kept, very precise, and they're still there to be consulted. Now, English River, were there 97 children or 97 minus 14 infants who would not have been registered as students who are recorded as dying there? If they died, what did they die of? You referred to tuberculosis. Uh, there was a fire there. There was a fire. I, I, maybe, I may be incorrect about this, but I, I did hear of one of these residential schools that was set on fire by students who had enough of it. I, perhaps that was Most the kids one. have driven. I, I believe that's the one, and it was over a Christmas celebration being canceled. Yeah, something like that. It's a Christmas celebration. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, anyway, so look, there are records there that could be extremely helpful in knowing whether there are any... You know, if you've got records of 50 kids and you've got 90 grand disturbances, well, it'd be good to know what the other 40 were. Mm -hmm. Who's there? Is it a grave, even, you know? But frankly, until somebody actually investigates, removes the topsoil, and says, well, who's this? Is there is there anything here, or is this old tiling systems, as is believed to be the case at Kamloops, or is it? Until somebody does that, we won't know for sure. And as Corey said just a moment ago, nobody on the other side of this argument, on the indigenous side, is particularly keen to push that because once it is disproved, well, there goes that, uh, there goes that request for money and also the the ability to guilt the federal government. Okay, and like I said, I, I for some who might be that un unscrupulous or however it might be, there's always a handful of activists and so on. If they really felt there were bodies there. Look from the point of view of one of the uh, an unscrupulous activist who just wants to grant for money. They would exhume them slowly, day by day, with a big press conference with each and every one of them, 
and horrify the nation daily. Mm -hmm. And the fact that they aren't doing that again tells me they got a feeling there aren't any remains either. Before we wrap up, I want to go back to, you know, following Kamloops, there was, um, I think also in Saskatchewan, Kawasis. And the chief there, you know, they had suspected graves. And I'm not sure where it's gone from there, but I do remember the chief used careful and precise language. Suspected or possible, not saying it is. I think calling for further investigation, you know, ask for money to investigate. That kind of ask for money, I think, is eminently reasonable. I think that is absolutely the duty of the federal government to step up and provide. Um, let's investigate, 100%. But then the press didn't actually use his language. Mm -hmm. They just threw it right into the Kamloops narrative of found mass graves, genocide. Took it right out of his mouth. Uh, didn't listen to the words he actually used. Um, and I'm not sure uh, what's come from it yet. Uh, I know we still have got no bodies, but uh, I'm not sure if an uh, excavation or exhumation has taken place there I or not. Know. If it had been done and finished already, I suspect we'd know the outcome, but it may be yeah. in process. I, but I, I, I remember just the, that chief, I want to recognize mm -hmm. using intelligent and precise language and not just a plea saying nothing. Oh, we don't need any evidence, but just give us money. Well, the uh, chief here, uh, Chief Jenny Wolverine, no, no saying let's get to the bottom of this, just money up. And that's... Uh, that's not going to do credit to any potential victims that uh, might actually exist out there. All right. Well, let's wrap it up there. Corey, Nigel, thank you very much. Thank all of you for joining us today. If you're not yet a member of the Western Standard, make sure you go to westernstandard.news right now. Sign up. It's only $10 a month or $100 a year for unlimited access to all Western Standard content. We need you to do it because we refuse to take uh, the federal bailout money from Ottawa. Uh, we're one of the only independent media left in Canada at this point. And uh, if we don't step up, well, you're going to have to settle for the CBC and the Toronto Star. Thank you very much for joining us today, and God bless. Here's an update on commodity prices in Lethbridge for today. Cash barley is steady at $3.50, feed wheat is unchanged at $3.65, and corn is down $2 at $3.65 per metric ton. In the milling wheat markets, December Minneapolis futures are lower 4.5 cents at 7.81.5 per bushel, with local hard red spring bid for September movement at 9.15 per bushel. Looking at canola, November futures are down $2.30 at 8.09.50, with delivered buys for September movement at $18 per bushel. In the pulse markets, nearby red lentil prices are higher a penny at 34 cents per pound, and yellow peas remain at $11 per bushel. And in the cattle markets, October live cattle slipped 60 cents at 180.88 per hundredweight. For more information on pricing or picked up options, give me a call at 403-394-1711. I'm Matt Musicum at Marketplace Commodities. Accurate, real-time marketing information and pricing options. Canadian Shooting Sports Association. Without the CSSA, our gun rights would have been taken long, long ago. These guys are on the front lines helping to draft smart and intelligent firearms regulations and legislation in Canada and more importantly, educating the public about how we keep guns out of the hands of the wrong people. To become a member, it's absolutely worth every penny. You can become a Western Standard member for just $10 a month or $99 a year for unlimited access.